my name is Isa Fomo, and I'm the co-founder with John of the Laboratory of Insurrectionary Imagination. And this is a, a collective that's been going on for 10 years now that aims at um, opening spaces, real or virtual, uh, to bring artists and activists together to work on and co-create more creative forms of uh, resistance and um, civil disobedience. And I'm John Jordan, uh, and yeah, we co-founded the lab before that. Uh, I mean, my training is as an artist and in theatre, and uh, I was part of uh, collectives in the 90s within the anti-roads movements, Reclaim the Streets, and then later on the alter-globalisation movement of the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay, so what do, the, what do you do? You just give us sort of an overview of, of this kind of work that the, that the two of you were involved with. Okay, so the work we do has several dimensions and um, we do a lot of experiments. We like to call what we do experiments projects or pieces or we, we like the idea of experimenting collectively and, and accepting that sometimes um, things might, might fail and that by embracing that, that um, capacity for failure we thought that we, we can be more creative um, I am by training an academic and, uh, and a trainer so um, I'm, I, I tend to be more um, into the, the training dimension of what we do so we do quite a lot of workshops and um, trainings from a, a day to two weeks uh, with artists and activists to really see the synergies between art and activism and often permaculture and see how when these three, um, um, these three domains uh, merge, we can create synergies for more creative, more efficient, more productive, more uh, resilient projects that we aim to be projects that are geared towards um, forms of resistance and civil disobedience and I, I think the what we don't do is political art um in fact we're quite critical of the notion of political art which for us is art that is about uh, political issues so you know uh, 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 okay we occasionally we make films and books but we call those holidays in representation but the the majority of our work is not making films and books it's actually making these experiments which are um really critiques of representation the idea being that most artists will you know make a performance about climate change or a sculptural installation about the loss of biodiversity or uh you know a film about climate justice and what we are are, are very clear about is that actually what we like to do and what we think is vitally important is to bring artists and activists together not to show the world, but to transform it directly, not to make images of politics, but make politics artistic. Uh, and the reason we work with these two worlds is that we think that you know artists have 
uh, a lot of creativity, a lot of capacity to think outside of the box, uh, a lot of capacity to become transform uh, things into 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 poetics, and yet often have big egos and not much social engagement. And we think activists, and of course these are generalizations, they often have a lot of uh, 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 social critique, capacity to work collectively, but often a failure of imagination, often, you know, the same rituals of change, the same kind of demonstrations, the same kind of uh, tools for transforming society. And by bringing these two worlds together, we think we can actually really create something uh, different forms. So those have ranged over the years from um, we are always embedded in social movements. So we spent five years as organizers within the climate camp. And uh, at the same time organizing the camp, we were also organizing workshops and actions that brought artists and activists together. For example, one, um, one project uh, was uh, the creation of a, a thing called the Great Rebel Raft Regatta, where we um, buried, pen, uh, buried a whole load of boats in a forest uh, a week before the climate camp happened in Kings North. The climate camp was a self-managed camp uh, developed to create education uh, and alternatives to the climate catastrophe but it also always had an action at the end of it and this camp at Kings North was actually uh, to stop the building of a new coal-fired power station. It was taking place next to a power station that already existed um, and the project that we did, the Great Rebel Raft Regatta, basically brought people together into affinity groups and we buried boats a week beforehand in the forest and with the boat was a bottle of rum. We also we gave people uh, treasure maps and so they went off in their affinity groups to find the buried boat with the treasure map. They would undig dig up the boat, sleep in the forest the night and then at seven o'clock uh, run out of the forest, take their boat onto the sea, onto the river and go and try and block the power station. And we got about 150 people onto the river and one boat managed to block a third of the power station uh, and shut a third of it down. So for us, it's really getting forms of action that are, are effective in terms of really uh, um, uh, having a real effect on the real world, but also are fun and adventurous. And, and the, you know, the whole of the treasure map and the bottle of rum and people were dressed up as pirates and so on uh, brings a kind of playful uh, element to act activism which we think is absolutely fundamental and you use this term ins insurrectionary imagination can you just say a little bit more about what you mean by that we we mean i believe that the imagination has the the potential um and is a fundamental ingredient for insurrection and that i think that we wanted to to reclaim the offensiveness and, and this, the, the defiance that often lacks in, um, in art and that by calling it a laboratory that would um, call onto the idea of imagination without having what we feel can be quite a, a bland um, understanding and bland connotation of the word imagination which is very often seen as something that is you know lovely and creative and and childlike by actually reclaiming the, um, the the resistance and the defiance of what we wanted to do. This is what we put um, the the word insurrectionary in in the name of our collective. Is that there is a there is a, a quote that we like, which is that 
maybe it's going to have to be John quoting it that we we use art as a means for uh, uh, we uh, we use art as a means for. We'll oh, have to. We'll fuck, have to. I can't remember. <laughs> we'll it's on the website. We use art as a means to prepare the insurrection and. Insurrection to, as, as an a, art. Uh, and and uh, insurrection as an art. I mean, the idea really being that uh, we don't really actually believe in this separation between artists and activists anyway, and we don't actually believe in those two terms. Uh, we we think the notion of art as a separate activity from everyday life is a very recent phenomena within the Western tra tradition. In most cultures, there isn't a separation of art and everyday life. And we, we equally think that activism, this idea that activists have the monopoly of social change, is exactly the same as artists having the monopoly of creativity, that actually everyone can and has the capacity and does change the world in some way all the time. So in a way, we, we you know, we it's a kind of dialectical relationship because we want to get rid of both those those notions, but for us, you know, creating a, an insurrection or a, some kind of revolutionary change, which we think is absolutely necessary, uh, we think that actually we have to provide the alternatives to capitalism and the climate catastrophe and resist the problems that are happening, that we can't divide. We see the, the DNA of social transformation as being two strands, being the yes and the the creation of alternatives such as transition to towns, uh, etc., um, and uh, a resistance, a resistance against the fossil fuel industries, the banks that fund them, and so on, and that we think one without the other is, is absolutely uh, pointless, because either uh, if, if we don't resist, then we forget who the enemy is, and there's a massive danger that our projects become simply experiments and laboratories for new forms of green capitalism, uh, and we think that if we don't uh, if we don't create the alternatives, then of course we simply have a culture of resistance and a very negative uh, no, you know, a culture that's simply saying no all the time and that isn't sustainable in terms of uh, mental health and, 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 and pers personal um, uh, 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 sustainability because people just burn out. And historically we see the division of these two uh, uh, movements being absolutely a problem and, and I think the 1970s is, is a classic example. So for us, all our projects as well we try and make the models of alternative forms of, 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 of living. So we haven't flown on, on a plane for 10 years, despite the fact we have this kind of international art world kind of career where most of the people in that world spend their life on, 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 on aeroplanes. Uh, we, you know, we live ecologically, we live in a yurt, in a community on a, where we've set up an organic farm where we put a, a landless peasant into, into production. And, and for us, that's not necessarily political, but that's what we do normally anyway and the resistance work is is always done without hierarchy so all our projects are we teach consensus at the beginning of them uh and we try and use permacultural principles uh to make them happen so for example we um it's quite a nice story of one project where uh, and this is kind of relevant because our latest project is geared towards the cop 21 uh in paris which is the un uh climate summit uh, which is uh, aiming to uh, find a universal agreement on 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 CO2 emissions and, and 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 adaptation and so on in December of this year. And in 2009, we were invited by two museums to do projects around uh, the COP uh, uh, in um, Denmark in at in Copenhagen. And we were invited by the Arnold Feeney Gallery in in Bristol, and we were invited by the Centre for Contemporary Art in Copenhagen. And what was interesting, so so we'd already spent some time in Copenhagen uh, during um, 
we published a book on alternatives uh, called Pass Through Utopias, unfortunately only available in French, Korean and German. Um, and we'd spent some time in Christiania in Copenhagen, a self-managed community in, in Copenhagen. And we'd noticed that during that time that there were thousands of abandoned bikes all over Copenhagen. So we thought, well, there's the material. It's waste, you know, permaculture principle, create no waste. Let's see what we can do with the waste of, of Copenhagen with these abandoned bikes. And let's transform them into tools of civil disobedience. So traditionally, civil disobedience in the kind of Gandhian Thoreau tradition is, is through the body. Uh, and we thought, well, what can we do with the body and a bicycle? So we proposed this to the two museums. Uh, they both agreed uh, in the project. We worked with the climate camp as, uh, as, a, as a movement we were working with. And we, in the idea was that, that we would produce prototypes in, in the museum in our Arnolfini Gallery, where we would bring 50 people together in an open free workshop. We would teach them basis as permaculture principles and so on. And then we would go, OK, so what can we do with these bikes and design a prototype, which we'd then take to Copenhagen to uh, scale up. Uh, and then we had an interesting moment where the, both the museums said, well, you can't do any welding in the museum. We were like, OK, fine. Well, we'll get a container outside and we can put an image on it and so on. It will be more public space anyway. That would be great. So problem was the solution. Um, and then they... Um, uh, had a phone call from the Copenhagen curator and she was like uh, okay well we've uh, got the container but there's a little uh, issue there's just one thing we, we just talked to the police uh, in Copenhagen in Denmark and there are certain rules about what is a bicycle like a bicycle can't have more than three wheels it can't be more than two meters long etc etc and if your objects are uh, outside of those rules then you have to write to the police and they will take three weeks before you have to show them the design it will take three weeks before they they come back to you and say you've got the right to go on the road at which point I, we said to her well that's really interesting but we're doing civil disobedience we don't really care whether the bikes are legal or not in the first place at which point there was this kind of pause and she was like, oh, so you're really going to do it. And um, I think we've had this experience a lot in the art world. And we can tell another story about our experience with the Tate Modern in, in London, which ended up in the launch of Liberate Tate, the movement. Um, but we've where basically the, a lot of the art world pretends to do politics. Uh, they have these kind of very radical texts and, and radical propositions and, you know, that maybe she imagined somehow we were going to build these objects and they were going to stay in the museum. But for us, that's not the point. Uh, the point is actually to take action. So unfortunately, the museum pulled out of it, uh, out, but we did find an ex-squat in Copenhagen, which is a kind of art cultural centre called the Candy Factory. And, and we produced the project there and about 200 people ended up being involved and took part in the day of action against the the corporate uh, domination of the of the UN climate talks. So, but it, it's in a way a, a good example of how we think a lot of political, so-called political art at the moment, which is very trendy. There's endless biennials, museum exhibitions, theatre festivals, which use the word political, radical, socially engaged, and so on. And actually, as far as we're concerned, a lot of it is what we'd call pictures of politics. You wrote in something I read this morning, the left is very scared of using desire and the body and capitalism and the right are brilliant at it. Can you talk us through what what the implications of that are and for a movement like transition as well? Well, I think that, yes, I think that there's, um, there's a tendency amongst the left. And of course, these are, these are massive generalizations, but I think that there is a tendency 
to feel that um, the problem is what people don't know and that therefore if we can produce more facts, more figures, more information, more reports and that people know what's going on, if, if you know, we can show the math, if we can um, have better pictures of the number of um, species that are going extinct of, you know, the... the 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 number of people that are being affected and the you know the figures of unemployment etc then people will react there is this there's this idea that um, there is a large number of people who do not act because they don't know whereas we believe that actually very often the problem is what people do know and that it's that they cling on to things on values that have been the structure of their life for a long time and that what will what generally makes people um, move to action is not uh, rational thinking but very often very but much more often um, desires and fantasies of what could be and like this is a there's a beautiful quote by um an American author called Stephen Duncan that talks very beautifully about that, about you know the dreams of what could be, and I think that the dreams of what could be are much more located in the in the emotions in in the body than in the than in the left brain, and I think that it's it's really important to combine them. It's not it's not a question of you know throwing the baby with the bathwater and say stop all reports, stop all research, stop all science. But to not overly rely on them, I think that the the numbers should be there as backup to to kind of you know use as, to be used as, as crutches. But that what is going to motivate um, most of us, and not just you know other people, but most of us, is to be able to experience emotionally and bodily um, a life that is that is more just, that is more healthy, that is more. Um, relax that is more enjoyable and that's not something that is purely rational it's like and this is why i think this is one of the knots that is very complicated to uh, to untie is how the the great lie of neoliberalism and capitalism which is that um, more stuff necessarily means better life we know that it's not true and yet this is it's something that is difficult to uh, to untie and and I think that we will manage to untie that by um, talking and and calling upon people's values and um, and at the same time I think that one of the notions that can be of of um, you know learning for projects like transition Dance is that in those in these emotions are the positive emotions of what could be, but also the negative emotions of what we know is wrong with what is going on. And actually, it is a matter of finding the balance and finding how one can feed the other, not in a, and not overcome the other. But I think that sometimes there can be a tendency to want to uh, deny and and obscure the the anger and the frustration. Um, at the injustice and at the destruction, and I think that actually these these emotions need to be acknowledged and need to be used as fuel for the resistance. Or whilst the, the positive emotions, even though not positive, because I don't think that the anger is really a negative emotion. But the, the the emotions of uh, of what could be can be used as a fuel to uh, to move towards the um, 
the alternative. And I think that these, that this, the combination of these two emotions can make the, the social movements um, irresistible and, and indestructible. And I think that very often the movements are indestructible when they're only calling upon one of those. So it, it comes back to this DNA of the yes and the no, but I think it's very true in the kind of emotions that we call upon in ourselves and in other people. And um, I think stuff you um, you refer in various places to the situationists, and I was always a big fan of the situationists. I wonder what what you think we can learn now from 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 the situationists. Well, drink less alcohol. I think it's the first learn. <laughs> um, uh, I think they're the you know I think they were you know like many. They, they were absolutely visionary uh, in terms of uh, being able to predict uh, kind of 21st century capitalism and the way it touches our uh, our, our, our fantasy and our, our, our desire life. Um, I think their, their, their ability to really dissolve this, this division between art and politics is absolutely key. Uh, and this idea, also the idea of really making political resistance uh, an adventure and 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 fun. Um, I, think, I think that I would also say the humorous irreverence. I think that you know we have um, social movements that tend to be far too polite, and I think that we we there is a tendency to never want to um, offend anyone and to be seen as very nice, and I think that. One of the things that I felt there is to learn from the situation is, even though they could, you know, often push it too far, is that they didn't care about being liked. And I think that there are too many um, people in, involved in social movements that want to be liked. And I think that we are literally dying of too much obedience and too much politeness. And is that the people who are and you know driving the machine and destroying the world are are not polite they're not they're not nice people and it's not to say that we should respond to the problem with the same kind of values i very much believe that you know with order law that you don't um you don't destroy the master's house or the master's tools but i think that it's really important often to um to remember that we don't always have to be liked and that you know the 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 irreverence and this absolutely hilarious defiance of theirs is something that we should, you know, we could we could do well with them making our own a bit more often. I mean, I, I think there's a direct line, from, you know, from Dada to surrealism to situationism to punk. I mean, it's something that Grail Marcus talks about in his book, uh, Lipstick Traces. Uh, I mean, um, you know, punk was was you know was consciously constructed by people uh, you know such as McLaren who had read Situationism and was very inspired by it. And I, I think actually, I think we need like we need the DNA uh, model of of creating and resisting uh, at the same time. And I think we all need to have a punk gland and a hippie gland. Uh, and and I think the key is to how do we balance the punk gland, which is the irreverent. Uh, you know, doesn't care about being liked and will resist any form of domination with the hippie gland, which is about actually the fact that love is actually the you know the 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 the, the main tool that we need to use is actually the you know is love and 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 creativity and so on, and so yeah, so I think um, we can take a bit of the situationist punk gland 
um, but we ne definitely need to add uh, a, a, a very equal dose of the, the kind of hippie <laughs> And permaculture is a big part of your work. I, I, could you say a bit about that? Where does the why is why is permaculture important to what you do? It offers um, a very inspiring and I think a, a very stable framework, as would say, a, a, a very, um, yeah, very, very stable uh, value framework um, to be able to work in the way we, we want. We thought that the, the three main pillars of, uh, of permaculture is, is a very efficient way of making people understand that actually it is not so complicated in terms of the kind of values that we want to put forward so because the, the principles are are um a really good roadmap for for working towards um the system and and designs that are productive and resilient and respectful and that and that i think that personally we feel very um touched by the idea that you take you take nature as your or as your teacher and that the more you do that and the less you see nature as this external thing outside of you but that more and more you take it as a as a tool so that you can reintegrate yourself in in nature which we've been taught to see as this thing you know like the, the fact that we very often talk about the environment is is telling it's like you know it's, it's this thing that surrounds us that obviously we're not part of and I feel that permaculture is an excellent um, tool to be able to reintegrate oneself into what is actually our our own ecosystem so we try to use the the principles as frameworks for for our experiments um, and generally the spirit of, uh, of permaculture as as inspiration and then we um in fact our we have this training called think like a forest which is like a 10-day training which we we do every not not that often but we've done four or five times uh over the last years um which actually is very inspired so it's a it's a training in art activism and permaculture and it really looks at you know what does art bring to activism what does activism bring to art? What does activism bring to permaculture? What does permaculture bring to, 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 to art and activism and so forth? To look at it as a kind of, you know, a, a system of three worlds. And that training was actually very inspired by a training by Starhawk, who's um, uh, 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 an arco-feminist uh, uh, witch, uh, by, very involved in the peace movements of the 80s and the ultra-globalization movement, who has a course called the Earth activist training course which we both attended and was very much a big inspiration for us uh, many many years ago and so we kind of modeled our our course on 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 that in a sense where there's a, a permaculture element but instead of the having the kind of witchcraft element we we replace witchcraft with art uh, her thing is you know earth-based spirituality uh, activism and permaculture ours is art uh, activism and permaculture and in a sense art is magic I mean it's a form of magic we think that um, that that's one of its powers is that actually uh, you know things become true when enough people believe in them uh, and so that and art is very good at, at kind of weaving uh, the, the kind of magic that we we kind of need in in, 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 these, in these moments 
Um, what part of the reason why looking uh, why we're having this conversation is because of Lucy Neal's book, which is coming out in a few weeks, uh, which you've written some bits for. And I wonder if you could just give us a sense of why why you think Lucy's book uh, matters. Why it's uh, you know just some reflections on that. Well, obviously we haven't read the book. <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen it yet, so it's quite hard uh, ask. But um, um, and from what I understand of it, uh, I think if the audience is artists, then I think it's what I imagine it is uh, mostly, uh, and most of the people writing it are artists. Um, I think uh, we need a culture of resistance. Uh, we need to really build. Uh, a culture of of poets and artists who are not just commenting on movements and not feeling on their kind of ivory towers looking down at the kind of uh, disaster of the, the the present world, but actually who are directly engaged in resistance movements. Uh, and if we look at all the successful resistance movements from civil rights to the Irish liberation movement to whatever, uh, you know, we see the role of artists directly in building this culture of resistance, uh, and I think books like Lucy's uh, will 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 help that in a way. Will will integrate the the creativity, making the storytelling, uh, the, you know, the, the 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 poetry into uh, actually a movement rather than because artists really are scared of politics a lot. You know, there's this absolute fear of getting really involved in something messy, uh, in something, you know, that they can't control, in, in something, you know, there's this constant fear in the art world of being instrumentalized by politics. You know, as soon as your art becomes useful for some kind of political aim, either it's seen as no longer art or it's seen as a kind of propaganda which are, you know, ancient kind of modern, you know, really kind of, you know, modernist ideas, which we, we, we totally disagree with in a sense. I mean, most of the people who have this discourse, most of the art they produce is totally instrumentalized by the system, is bought by rich collectors who then put it in a bank to become richer. And most of the collectors are probably involved in, you know, arms dealing, oil and so on. And actually, uh, you know, art is simply a, a slightly more ethical way of making lots of money than slightly more ethical than drugs running. I mean, um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's for us, I think the, the, the more that artists get involved and apply their creativity to radical forms of social change and whether that's applying your creativity to setting up a direct action to uh, stop the digging up of, of fossil fuels or whether that's applying your creativity to building uh, a, a, a beautiful um, compost uh, system in your city. Uh, the importance is that that creativity that that is trained in the art in the art world and that everything is is actually applied directly to some form of social transformation as opposed to some kind of abstraction. There's a quote that I read where you said, "History shows us uh, that the most powerful tool of rebellion is not the size of your party or the power of your weapon, but your ability to create an expectation of change." Insurrection is the art of feeding the imagination. It increasingly feels to me like one of the key things that transition is about as well is about imagination and possibility and uh, giving people a sense of possibility. But it feels like uh, in a time when 
all these amazing kind of social media and things that are available to us and film and this, that and the other should be, in theory, giving us more of an imagination. Actually, culturally, our imaginations seem to be closing down and, and, and work of your work like yours is very much about rekindling that imagination. Could you just say a bit about what's happened to our imaginations Where, and, and, and how can we bring them back to life again? I'm, I'm quite optimistic around the fact that people are not less imaginative. It's like, you know, when you, I mean, you know, John has a 20 year old son. We've been working with him on our last project. And when you see the creativity of, you know, of him and his friends and it's like the, the imagination, the capacity to, to project something other than what is in front of you is still very much there. And I think that is maybe more a question of rekindling the confidence that we can do something viable out of that capacity. I have the feeling personally that this is what what has been um, what has been hurt, literally, what has been you know injured in in a lot of people through through growing up in the in a very neoliberal uh, system is the is. The, the confidence that with my imagination I have the capacity to change things is not the impossibility to imagine something different. It's just this, this the capacity to think that you know I have the power to do something with it, and I I find it, and this is why for us it is so crucial to work in social movements and to not be on this um, individual artist trajectory because we don't believe that that we can change things individually. We think that you know, individuals all have to do their part, that's necessary, but that the big change will necessarily be collective because this is what has been stolen from us, uh, from a lot of us, the capacity to work collectively and, and feel that we can do it. So it's more, it's more that imagination uh, and that capacity that that's all we need to, um, to work on. I think in a lot of our projects, we, you know, it comes back you know, maybe the permaculture principle of, of stack functioning. Um, a lot of the function of our projects is not just to create the action at the end of it. So, you know, the disobedient bikes or um, you know, whatever, um, that, that actually a lot of it is actually how do you bring people together to share their, their imagination within the context of an act of disobedience and give them courage and confidence towards disobedience because we actually think that um you know everything we take for granted whether that's women wearing trousers contraception the right to join a union even a child's right to ride a bicycle all these things were won because people disobeyed people broke the law you know people went to jail so that we can wear a condom i mean it's 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 something that's so easily outside of our, our you know it's, it's been it's a story in a way that has you know the story that 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 things have always been like this is what has colonized our imagination and we forget that, that these histories that actually everything we take for granted uh were 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 one not because the government gave to us but because people resisted and refused to 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 follow the law you know even kids on bicycles the first kids ever to ride a bicycle was an anarchist french a french anarchist school and of course, the media at the time was like, ah, oh, typical anarchist, dangerous, you know, they're putting children on bicycles. But I mean, now it's absolutely the most banal 
banal thing. The idea of not letting children on bicycles seems absolutely banal, ridiculous. So, um, I, you know, in some ways, I think the the the, the, the I, I think I'm not so. I don't know if I completely agree with with Isla on the imagination thing. I think our imagination has been colonised, and I think we need to decolonise the imagination. Um, and I think one of the ways it has been colonised is, and I think is through um, the fact that the kind of culture of the city of the of the metropolis has gone everywhere now. That you know, with any you'll go in any any rural area, and all the culture that the kids are watching is urban culture. So it's you know re recreating this idea that it happens in the big cities, and that you're just a country bumpkin and the you know the hip hop that on your iphone and so on and the, the you know these are all 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 um uh, uh, uh cultures from the metropolis and so i think you know one of the things questions we have to do is how do we we decolonize that imagination and 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 relocalize you know certain forms of culture and imagination and that's why you know we've always also been interested in carnival and and ritual and 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 those and and, and folk traditions um, as these kind of rural forms of of, of, of imagination and 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 resistance uh, that aren't necessarily uh, um, bound by the, the city. And kind of um, to bounce to bounce off that, yes, I, I would agree. I would agree with with it. it we would. I, it actually makes me think of a quote by you, Rob, when we um, interviewed. You. For our book film, we asked you to do an interview as though we were like in foreseeable future, maybe maybe twenty thirty, maybe twenty forty, and you described the the valley that we could see uh, from where we were uh, sitting in Totnes, and you said something that really um, that stayed with us, which was you said, well, you know, we've reached a point now. So you were talking as as if we were in the future, instead where farmers have become as cool as web were in the 90s and we felt it really stayed with us because we, we then went on to um to set up um, a, a collective and a farm and and it's been some of the it's been some of the guiding um uh, spirit of the work that we tried to do is that how can we actually get that is that it's not not a matter of denying um the the possibilities of of technology or you know or or, or new tools but how do we actually change um you know, farming in the rural world and you know as cool as um yes as web design 